Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again. And yeah, special welcome to any visitors joining us. Uh, as Cecilia alluded to, we're starting a new series this morning. We're starting the book of Job, which, uh, you know, as you, you think about the series and where you're going uh, in, a, in a book, in a sermon, uh, sometimes you realize, can't really crack too many jokes today. Job's not really the joking sort of book, is it? Um, it's a, a heavy topic. It's a weighty book. Um, but our God is also a heavy God, a weighty God. And uh, this is looking at some of the serious parts of life as well. And I'd encourage you to, to grab a Bible to follow along. We're going to make a start in Job chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, here at the start, verses 1 to 12. Uh, let's read it together. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you put a, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Uh, This is God's word to us today. Uh, Job has 42 chapters to it, uh, which might make some of you very nervous about how long this series is going to be, and that would be fair enough. Um, There was a a Scottish Presbyterian minister, George Hutchinson, who apparently took 316 sermons uh, to preach through the book. He is outdone, though, get this, uh, by Joseph Car- Carlyle, if I'm saying that correctly, who took 424 sermons, that's not even the big part, over 23 years. Now, I'm sure he must have preached about a few other things, but could you imagine being there for his first sermon and then coming back 23 years later and being like, you're only just wrapping up now? <laughs> like, that'd be astounding. Uh, I'm going to be a bit quicker. I can alleviate your fears. I'm going to be a lot quicker. About six or seven messages, actually, in the book of Job. So we're going to, we're going to pick up speed. We're just doing chapter one today. Uh, but this is 
an important book. And I want to encourage you with a couple of things, if I can. You are here today for the first message. Whatever else happens, can I encourage you to make sure you're here for the last message? Okay? Uh, we're going to go some dark places in the book of Job, uh, but we don't end there, actually. And the end is important. And even if you're not here for the last message, can I encourage you to get hold of it? Listen to it online. Check out the, uh, our website for it. Uh, the other thing I want to encourage you is to read through the book of Job, but not all at once. It is 42 chapters. And just at the moment, can I encourage you to read through the first three chapters and actually to stop there? I want you to stop there until we get there because I want to give you something for the next section after that, something that uh, I think is helpful for understanding it. But uh, what about Job? Uh, why why Job? And I think the common answering to, to what is Job about and why, why we would read Job is that it's about suffering. And that is true. Suffering is a big part of the book. It is, in a sense, the setting for the book. And we're going to look at why suffering, uh, in fact, today. Uh, but that's not all that Job is about. Not at all. Because while suffering is the setting, it's actually faith in God which is is the underlying focus, the, the really big thing, the overarching thing. You know, an atheist doesn't have to ask why they suffer. They, there's no one to ask. Uh, but if we have faith in God, then yeah, we, we have this question come up. Uh, we believe in a just and good God, a loving God. And so when we suffer, what do we do with that? Um, the question is going to be there, but how do we answer it? And these are big questions, they're important questions, they're questions all of us have, and God has given us some answers. He's given us the book of Job. And so the, the book of Job is how about how we hold on to faith, but it's actually also about how we hold forth faith, because all of us are going to suffer in different ways, but we will all suffer, but all of us will also be friends brothers and sisters, to people who suffer. And in those cases, how do we hold forth faith? Give you a little heads up. Book of Job includes some terrible examples, ways not to do it, also some ways to do it as well. This book is going to be practical, and it speaks to us all. And let's get into it. Verse 1. And there's sort of three questions here right in verse 1. Where, who, and so what? Where, who, and so what? Uh, the where is the land of us, and it might sound like the land of Oz, uh, but actually it's not a made-up place. It is a real place. You can find it elsewhere in the Bible as well. Uh, the who is Job, obviously. Uh, and actually, if you read some commentaries around us, if that's, that's your jam, uh, you might find some commentators who suggest that the book of Job, and Job particularly, is a fictional person. I can see why they suggest that. The book of Job has a very definite structure to it. It's very structured. I'll touch on that later. Uh, not today, later, later. Uh, but I do not believe that Job is a fictional person. Why? Uh, because in Ezekiel 14, God puts Job right alongside Noah and Daniel as examples of righteousness. Now, a fictional example is not a very good example of righteousness. It doesn't encourage righteousness. Uh, Noah and Daniel are not fictional. They are real examples, and I think 
Job is held up alongside them as a real example for us. So that's where, that's who, the so what is actually the most important question, and it's the end of verse 1. This sentence is important where it says, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Look, we're not going to get Job's age. We're not going to get so many things about his life. But the most important thing for us to know about him is this. This is key. Do not miss this. It's in the first verse, and we are meant to hold on to it. Here are four things. He's blameless, upright. He feared God and shunned evil. They're sort of all the same thing, overlapping in some ways. Job had a very real faith in God. He took God seriously. God was important to him. His faith in God was the basis of his life. We could describe in many ways. He was a a godly man. He was a righteous man. He was God-centered. He was serious about God. He had a faith in God. All of these ways we could describe him. This is how he's described to us. And this is so important. And we know this is key because it's actually repeated in verse 8. The exact same phrase. And in verse 8, who's the ones telling us this about Job? Who is it? It's God. In effect, on God's own lips, we hear, there is no one on earth like him. You know, he's the man. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. This is our starting point with Job. I'm not saying he was perfect. Neither is the Bible. It's saying he had a faith in God. And it was at the core of who he was. He was so conscious of God, and we're given this example, that after his children had 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 a party, he offered sacrifices on their behalf just in case they'd cursed God in their hearts. And we're told that was his regular custom. Not just a one-off, regular custom. He so lived before God and cared for his children too, that's not unimportant, that even the thought, the, the idea that his children might have gotten a bit tipsy and cursed God in their heart, he's like, I'll do something about that. I know I live before God, but I know they live before God as well. I mean, that's taking God seriously, isn't it? And this is, this is who the book is introducing us to. This is who Job is. His faith is real. Again, as I said, it's not saying he's perfect, but he's godly. He is a righteous man. And quite frankly, when I read this and compare him to myself, I'm like, I've got some room to grow. That's putting it nicely, isn't it? But I think that's true of us all as well. And so what do we know about Job here? He's rich, really rich. I think we'd say mega rich. Uh, If he was alive today, he'd have multiple businesses with lots of employees, and they're all succeeding. Uh, He was a family man. He had a large family, seven sons, three daughters. uh, But he also cared for them. He cared for them greatly. But most of all, the biggest thing we know about Job is he was faithful. He was faithful. He walked with God, to use a a phrase from elsewhere in the Bible. Now, this is scene one. We're introduced to Job. 
And then we're given scene two, which happens in a very different place, happens in heaven. We, we, we get this view into heaven. And we're told of this really odd interaction between God and Satan. Satan, whose name uh, means the accuser. Now, Satan says that he's been out roaming the earth, and we can read between the lines here that he hasn't been out helping old ladies across the road. That's not what he does. It's not in his nature. But it's God who says, you've been out roaming the earth. Have you seen my servant Job? It's God who brings Job up. And if we know where the story's going, we might wish for Job's sake that God hadn't. But let's remember that there is no one else on earth like Job. And there is a sense here that God values Job. God delights in Job, I think it would be fair to say. God loves Job here. He is the best of the best, and without skipping a beat, Satan does what he always does and questions Job's faith. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan asks. Satan is suggesting that Job's faith is based more on God's blessing and less on God's worth. And maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but actually that's a really ugly accusation. Really ugly. It's like saying a spouse is only in the relationship for the money. We've we've all heard that one before, haven't we? Take that blessing away, says Satan, and Job will surely curse you to your face. Take that blessing away, God, and you'll see what he really thinks of you. He'll turn on you in an instant. Now let me ask you, is it fear Would it be fair for a spouse to know whether their their husband or wife truly loves them? Would that be fair? You know, it's pretty pretty important to the relationship. As a married man, I can confirm this. Let me ask you, as we've gotten this far through Job's story, not that far into it, uh, do you a little bit want to know whether Job's faith is real? Do you a little bit want to know? Yeah. Now, I absolutely believe that God already knows the answer to Satan's accusation. I do. God already knows the answer. But even if you know the answer, you have to walk the walk to prove it. If you know the answer, the test doesn't cause you to fear. And God says, okay, Satan, you can test Job. God will remove his hedge from around Job and Satan can take everything, everything, but not lay a finger on him. And here we come to scene three. We haven't read this. This is verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, that should make you a little nervous. A messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... 
Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And here at the end of chapter 1, I think at least, is one of the most incredible examples of worship in the entire Bible. For all the sacrifices that are in the Bible, for all the things that people do, this is, this is right up there. This, this is right near the tippity top. After grief upon grief, the answer to Satan's question against Job is a resounding no. No, Job didn't curse God to his face, but instead, in his grief and sorrow, he did just the opposite You know, I'm sure Job had many moments of worship in his life. I'm not diminishing those, but none, none of them could have been greater than this. None of them. And we can feel it, can't we? The momentousness of this worship, it's massive. In this moment when everything else is stripped away, everything else is stripped away, what what does Job have? His faith. And Job speaks here not to curse God, but to bless him. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. That's quite something when a wealthy, wealthy person can say that, isn't it? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job values God more than his stuff. Job recognizes that everything he has was actually from God. And now it's gone back to God, even his children. And as heartbreaking as that is, it's wondrous as well. And I believe this raises some questions for us. I think the first question is sort of obvious. Do we fear God for nothing? And we've got to ask this question of ourselves, don't we? Is our faith, our worship of God based on what he gives us or who he is? And really the only way to answer that is to be tested. And we will be. 
In all of our lives, that will happen. I mean, in the end, we lose everything, don't we? We don't get to take anything with us. But along the way, we can lose a lot as well. And a test for us before then is to hold up what we have from God and to check that if God takes it back, if he takes it away, will we worship him then? Let me use me as an example of this. Uh, My wife is my best friend and a gift from God. I got married uh, later in life. Uh, I felt like I had to wait a good few years for her to turn up. Thank you, God. And you know what? One day, one of us is going to die first, and sometimes Robin and I argue about who that should be. Um, Maybe we're not the only ones. Uh, And I know I'm older, also a man, and we tend to kick the bucket first, don't we? It's just the way things are. Uh, But if God were to take her back, because I recognize she is a gift from God. God were to take her back today or tomorrow or in the next year. Will I worship God as the giver of that good gift or will I curse him to his face? Or my children, you know, I've got a a four-year-old now. He turns four today. It's his fourth birthday today. Seems like a bit of a miracle he's made it to four, actually, some days. (laughs) He is also a gift from God. He absolutely is, tries me like nothing else. But he is a gift from God. uh, And I do give thanks for him, especially today, but, but every day. But if God were to take him back, what would I do? Oh, I'm going to grieve. And maybe I've got one up on Job. My head's already shaved. (laughs) But what will I do with my faith? I'm going to grieve. I'm going to cry like you wouldn't, wouldn't believe. Maybe you would. I know some of you have lost children. What about other things? What about if I lost my my house, my money? I know some of you have. What about if I lost my my voice or or my intellect, my ability to think? Because you know what? Those are quite important to my work, to what I do. I I have a a role which I believe God has given to me. But as much as I recognize that, I also recognize that God will take that role away from me one day too. It will come to an end. What about if that's tomorrow? What about if if my voice just went? What about if my eyesight just went? What about if I got dementia at this age? You know, so many things it could be. And work is an important part of all our lives. What we do is important to our lives. But it can also be an idol in our lives, can't it? My identity could be wrapped up in, in this instead of in God. He will take it away one day. I don't know when. When that day comes, will I begrudge him Will I hold it against him? Or will I hold on to him? 
Have I identified myself with God's blessing and goodness to me? And I know his goodness to me. I do. I'm not Job. I don't have that many oxen. (laughs) Or do I identify with the giver of those good gifts? Look, we're all going to be tested, all of us. And I know many of you have. Satan still roams the earth doing what he's always done, accusing us and testing us. And Job calls us to think through this. And I think it's a good call, a good test. Are we actually holding on to idols, putting other things before God, or are we holding on to God? Because we we are going to be tested in different ways in our lives. If it's some small comfort, I don't think any of us are going to be tested quite like Job. But we will be tested as well, won't we? We will. I don't rejoice in it. I don't. But I want to be faithful in it. And I think that is what we are called to. Secondly, do we have a heavenly vision? A heavenly vision. You could take that lots of different ways. But the book of Job pulls back the curtain a little bit on heaven. We get a sneak peek into it. And in some ways it might raise a whole lot of questions for us. But there is also something for us to learn and to remember, a reality that we experience in our world, but it actually is only explained in heaven. In scene two of Job's story from today, we see Satan coming before God. And we, we learn that in, in a way, the earth is Satan's territory. It's like his stamping ground. But you know what? God is still in control. These are both true. Satan goes to and fro, but God sets boundaries and has the final word. Yet when God lifts his protection, his hedge from Job's life, we see the Sabaeans and Chaldeans come in and and steal his herds and murder his servants. And in effect, they are working for Satan. And let's think about this for a moment. I'm sure the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans made choices. I'm not saying that like Satan took over them and possessed them. I'm not saying that. I don't think the Bible is saying that. I'm sure they made choices, probably greedy ones, of like, well, let's go steal his stuff. But unconsciously, they chose to fulfill Satan's choice, which God had allowed. Likewise, with the, with the fire from heaven and the wind which, which knocked over the building, uh, killing Job's children, we see what I think insurance companies today would call acts of God. But seemingly, they were acts of Satan which God allowed. Now, when Job reacts to these tragedies at the end of chapter 1, he realizes God's hand behind them. Job hasn't seen into heaven. He doesn't know what you know. He doesn't know what I know. But he sees that it it is God who gave and it is God who has taken away. He never charges God with wrongdoing. He never calls God evil or the events good. And that's sort of complicated. And that's where we live. And this world of ours and our lives are so often like that. As people of faith, we can 
and should be like Job. God is in control. He restrains evil far more than we recognize. Far more. Look, I'm not saying things are great in this world. I'm not saying that. But I am saying things could be a whole lot worse. They could. So often we see evil in the world and we question, how can there be a good God? Uh, We don't question, gee, it could be so much worse. Just as well God's, you know, putting a hedge in. And yes, he has allowed it. God has allowed it. But that doesn't mean that he is behind it. And that's tricky, isn't it? That is tricky. But I think we can think about this. Let's think of a a touch more modern example, uh, the Holocaust. Uh, We would be right to say God allowed it. But that doesn't mean that God caused it. And we might think, how, how though can God allow it? And look, I'm not saying this is an easy answer. You would think after the Holocaust, the world would have learned a lesson from that, wouldn't you? You'd think that. Have we? No. No, we have not. We haven't. So what does that mean? We just don't get it? We just do the same thing again and again? Yeah, it does somewhat. And we can see the same tension in the Bible elsewhere, but especially we see the same tension at the cross of Jesus. Here is Jesus' cross. God has planned it. It is his purpose, his design. But Judas betrayed Jesus. The religious leaders falsely accused Jesus and the Romans crucified Jesus. But who were they serving as they did it? They were serving Satan even as they were fulfilling God's will. Yes, as it was prophesied right at the start of Genesis, the snake struck Jesus' heel, but Jesus has crushed its head. Been God's plan all along. Doesn't mean it was good. Evil was done that day. It's terrible. But God was in control. But what does all, all of this mean for us? Well, we have to hold these two things together. We have to hold that our God is in control. He is sovereign. But we also have to acknowledge the wickedness of people and the evilness of Satan. They are not the same, God being in control, and the wickedness of people and the evilness of Satan. They're not the same. But so often they are going on together at the same time. If we cannot hold on to these twos, we will start to think that either God is not in control or we will start to think that God is evil. And look, I've heard some of your stories, just some of your stories, little parts of your lives. And look, you've given me, you've told me examples of this as well, of bad things happening in your life but God being in the midst of it as well. Of you looking back on tragedies, 
and they are tragedies, but also recognizing God's hand behind them as well. Let's hold on to this. Let's have this heavenly vision that we recognize the battle we live in. We do live in a battle. We do in the midst of one. A heavenly war where the stakes are high, but let us not forget who has the final word and who will win in the end. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not. And lastly, let us be a people of true worship because we are a people of true faith. We might bring many things to God to worship him, and rightly so. We are called to bring our lives in worship to him. And we have much to be thankful for. It is good and right to recognize God's goodness to us and to give thanks for it. But for all the opportunities we have to worship God, like Job, the times we worship God the most, maybe the times we don't want at all, but it may be our biggest witness to our neighbors and to this world about God's ultimate value, that he is worth more than everything else. Job, here at the end of chapter 1, offers one of the greatest examples of worship in all the Bible, I said. The greatest has to be Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That even though all the signs might point to God's abandonment and curse upon Jesus, Jesus entrusted himself to God, and we know like no other, no other time in his life, And oh, the witness that is to us, isn't it? Well, we get to do likewise in our own lives. We might particularly want it, but we get to do it. When our faith is tested, and tested we will be, maybe with tears coming down our faces, having lost something, something precious to us, we can rejoice in the one we cannot lose And who will not lose us? We can hold on to God knowing that he will hold on to us. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Almighty God, Job is a challenging book. And here we are one chapter in. And we might be a little bit nervous about going any further. But I pray on this journey that you will continue to speak and reveal yourself to us And Lord, that we would learn from Job and his example. We would hear the call upon us all. Lord, help us to test our lives where there are idols, where there are things we're putting before you. Help us to clear them away. Help us to remember, Lord, the battle we are in. That yes, you love us oh so much. But we're going to suffer. We are are going to lose things. We're going to be tested. Our faith in you is going to be tested. Help us to be true to you like Job. And oh, may we worship you for who you are. That when we lose everything else, we do not lose you and we know that you will not lose us. May we rejoice in you and indeed put you on the throne of our lives as you are on your throne in heaven. Yes, Jesus, we pray as you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.